Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. Welcome yet to another fabulous episode of the B2B Sales Trends podcast, the podcast that brings you hacks, tips, thoughts, leadership for sales, marketing, customer success, and all other wonderful things. It's brought to you by us, Global Performance Group, a revenue improvement boutique that implements behavior change to provide salespeople the competence and the confidence and the courage to sell and negotiate based on customer outcomes. My name is Harry Kendelbacher, and today I have with me Dan Story from uh, Finastra, the Director of Sales Training there. Welcome to the B2B Sales Trends Podcast, Dan. Thanks, Harry. Excited to be here and uh, looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. As a form of introduction, Dan, tell us a little bit about your background and expertise in psychology, and we're going to talk a little bit about NLP. Give us a little bit of background and how it relates to the world of sales for our listeners. Perfect. Yeah, so I, I started studying psychology almost by accident. Um, back, uh, was it maybe, I'm not going to say how many years ago, but it's got a two in it, I think. Um, and a friend of mine gave me a CD. This is, we're dating some things now. He said, listen to this CD. I think it's going to be really interesting for you. Because at the time I was working with athletes, I was working with people who were looking to improve their fitness. And he gave me this, this CD about mindset. He said, look, what have you applied this to athletes? I was like, this is brilliant. So started doing that and then wanted to study this thing. And, and the, the CD he gave me was about neurolinguistic programming or NLP. Um, and so I thought, oh, I'm going to dive into this and learn as much as I possibly can. So started studying it. And the school I was studying with said, hey, you know what? We're trying to teach this in business. Do you want to come on board and help us like, and, and start teaching this as a concept? I'm like, sounds great. What's the first job? The first job was go and teach these salespeople. <laughs> and straight into you know what salespeople are like, right? Straight into teaching psychological concepts to hungry salespeople who, frankly, didn't want to learn about psychological concepts. They wanted to learn how am I going to make money, how am I going to sell people stuff. And there was this dichotomy at the right at the beginning of my career. Where I'm like, well, you, this is such a useful tool, but you don't want to hear it in a way. I'm going to try and deliver it. How do I bring the two together? And so I guess over the years, that was what I tried to figure out. It's how do I apply the concepts from neurolinguistic programming into language and scenarios that salespeople understand? And I guess, like I said, I've been doing that for a few years now. And so there's these undercover techniques and models and frameworks. That if you understand them and know how to apply them in, in a communication situation or an influence situation, I think it can make you pretty powerful. Sounds very cool. Tell us a little bit about your role at Finastra as an intro. At Finastra, my job is to ensure that our sales team, we have a large sales team, hundreds and hundreds of salespeople globally are prepared and ready for their role. So whether that is our SDR organization who come on board, maybe into their first ever sales role, giving them the tools, the skills they need to be able to be effective immediately on the phone, or all the way up to our strategic salespeople who maybe need, you know, probably not the basics, but really scenarios and how do we handle our toughest objections or how do we negotiate really powerfully uh, we try and cover the entire spectrum of training uh, and also give them the tools and resources they need 
Sounds, sounds like you have a lot on your plate uh, to make sure that these salespeople have what they need to do their job. Very nice indeed. Uh, let's focus a little bit on the psychology and the NLP part that you have mm. already nicely introduced. So if I'm a salesperson, how, how can I leverage this, that psychology and NLP to enhance my communication skills and, and, and to become, in a way, a more persuasive influencer? Oh, so let's, let's do two. I'm going to give you two. The first one is awareness of self. This is, wow. this is probably the biggest one. Um, salespeople love to talk. We tend to be pretty good at it. Um, but we have tendencies. We have patterns. In neuro-linguistic programming, we call them metaprograms. Okay? The way our brain is wired leans to a particular way in different situations. There's a, lots of personality tests out there that you may be aware of, things like DISC, Myers-Briggs, mm -hmm. Insights, those kind of things. And they're all based around this idea that although we say the same things, what we hear and what we're tuned in for is slightly different. So let's give, I'll give you two examples and uh, kind of hopefully it makes sense. If I ask you, how, you know, how's your day? Uh, it's a nice question, nice and easy. There's two ways of answering it. You can give me a big picture answer or you can give me a small detail chunk answer. And some people say, it's great, loving my day, uh, really busy, but having fun. Like big picture. You ask that to one person, the other person says, well, you know what? I woke up at 8.28 this morning. It was late because my alarm clock didn't go off. I'm pretty sure I set it. <laughs> it's going to take them that long yeah. to explain their day, right? Some people, we, we just have these tendencies. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with these tendencies, but it's being aware of your preferences. Because if I'm talking to you, Harry, and you like big picture, but I go too much into the detail, or I could see it, what was happening when I was going into it. So, oh, my goodness. How long is this going to take? He's going on. He's just going to keep going on about his day. I need to go on. And your brain goes somewhere else, right? Your brain right. goes somewhere else. So imagine right. if you're the salesperson and your prospects, their brain's going somewhere else. Right. So the first one for salespeople is to think about what are my communication tendencies? Am I communicating in the same way that my prospect wants to hear? And our job as salespeople is to be almost like chameleons, right? We need to have different ways of communicating. Now, we work in banking. In, in the software space, pretty technical. I'm probably going to need to go into detail at times. And if I'm a big picture type person, which I am, uh, I'll have a tendency to gloss over a lot of things, which is going to frustrate the heck out of my detailed people. Okay. So just being aware of that. Like, when do I need to go into detail? When do I need to come up a level? So interesting question. So I was just reflecting why, while you were explaining this, how I typically use this. And I don't, I don't, I definitely don't use it in an aware state, but especially in our world nowadays, right? There's many, many virtual calls. Um, I'm a believer that the way you communicate sort of sets an expectation and example to get the others to sort of follow you. Mm. So for example, when there's this awkward silence at the beginning of the call and you want to break the ice a little bit, instead of saying, how are you? Um, I usually start and say something around, well, my day is going really well. The weather is fantastic here in Salzburg. It's about 30 degrees, and I've had a number of good calls. And uh, um, how are you? So yep. in a way, that sets an example for them to respond in a similar way. Now, does that fall into that any sort of category that you have just explained? 
or not? I think so. I, I actually use that technique in in challenging situations. Sometimes you ask a question, and if we go back at all, my my background is American football. If we look at my sporty background, I played American football right. for a very long time. I was a quarterback, which is the guy that throws the ball. And at the beginning of a game, you've got nerves, right? You've got all this tension. Right. You're like, oh, we're going to do a good job. And so we wanted to create easy wins or CBs, confidence builders. And this was one of those things. It's like the first few plays would be ones that you could do in your sleep with your eyes closed. And that's an example of that, right? So, if, Harry, if I ask you a really tough question, yeah, let's say, you know, what are the what are the kind of biggest goals that you and your organization are working on? To answer that is really difficult. It's a difficult question to answer. And if we ask that at the beginning of the conversation, it's going to be pretty tricky. So I can use something like that to give some examples and lead and, and kind of uh, do that. So, you know, what are you working on? What we're finding is companies in your sector are working on these three things. How closely does that relate? So you give them some kind of ballpark to work in with the answer. So it's an example of, in in NLP terms, would be pacing and then leading, right? So you're leading a conversation by building that rapport early on. Um, loads of different techniques. And Harry, I can see how you're using them already. So, uh, and, and this is, oh, by the way, this is one of the things people are saying, are you doing NLP to me? Like that was one of the things. It's like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't do this to people. It's just an awareness and the language that you right. can you can flex and turn on. But after a while, it just becomes a little bit more second nature. It, it, it is interesting. I use that technique that you have described. Unintent, you know, not being aware of what you've just described again by saying, you know, what, you know, typically what we hear, what the biggest goals currently are in, in your industry, are, you know, X, Y, Z, and then you set up an example and the conversation is set up and they sort of lead that or tell you in a way, and this sounds horrible, but tell you in a way what you want to hear. Yep. Or you have to sort of hold their hand and lead them down the path where you wanted to lead them. And that's sort of an initial setup for that. Uh, very interesting. I just reflected a couple of things that I did myself. Thank you. That was, that was good. Um, so fascinating. Are they sort of, you know, any other specific psychological techniques or NLP strategies that you would recommend. Now, we talked about a couple of things, but are there some that you recommend to build stronger connections with potential clients or where do you see that also in the sales process? A lot of questions on on, on that topic. So let's, let's talk about a model that I talk about quite a lot, which is the neurological levels model. Okay. And uh-huh. You can use this in many applications. I'll talk about it very briefly from a rapport perspective, but then we'll also talk about it from a questioning perspective. So me and my brother, right? Uh, do you have siblings? Do you have brothers, sisters? I, I see what you're doing. Yes, two. <laughs> two brothers, two younger two. brothers. And and of course, as, as kids, you always get on smoothly. There are never any arguments or any fights or anything along those lines, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> exactly the same with my brother. So we'd have one of these very smooth days where nothing would happen. And you're at, you're at each other's necks, right? You're at each other's right. throats. And the next day at breakfast, what happened? You probably just acted like nothing had happened. You just like Absolutely. nod and carry on, right? Now, can that's that's rapport. That's rapport. That's the ability to kind of go through tension and, and come out the other side with a relationship. Yeah. Can you imagine having a similar argument with a client or a prospect and just go waking up? If you're waking up for breakfast with your prospects anyway, there's something, yeah, right. there's <laughs> something some... to be aware of there. Right. But you know what I mean? And many times salespeople are scared to do confrontation 
they're scared to argue or disagree because they think, oh, no, the relationship is, is at risk. And the reason being is because we're not at a deep enough level of rapport. And rapport has layers, right? If you think about the most basic way that we teach rapport is matching and mirroring. If somebody crosses our arms, you cross your arms. If they use a word, you use a word. If they scratch their nose, you scratch your nose. It's just a bit weird, right? Mimicking. Right. It works in very superficial situations, but the neurological levels model says, let's go a little bit deeper. How can we look at rapport at a deeper level? And so the, the model goes like this, is environmental results, behavior. So if we do behavior level movement type rapport, that's mm -hmm. superficial. If you think about training as well, behavior, the way we change behavior, we give people capabilities or skills. We give them the ability to do something different. Hopefully their behavior changes. So you change those things. Above that imaginary line is we're moving into psychology and we have this idea of values and beliefs. Okay. And values and beliefs says, what is the motivation behind those behaviors? Like, why do people do the thing? So ask your question, Harry, uh, you, you kind of gave me an idea about the, the Iron Man last time uh, we spoke. Why do you do what, what was it that called you and compelled you to do Iron Man? What did you get out of those, those challenges? I got one thing out of it, and that was, uh, was a life lesson for me that there is no limit to anything. Ah, okay. Is why, no why is that important to you? Um, because it's, um, it's something I used to believe that there is a limit to people's, what people do, and especially myself. And through doing these extreme distances uh, in triathlons, when bike run, um, I started to believe that there is really no limit. It depends how you set up your mindset. Um, in sports, the other day, I heard a, a good analogy saying a good racehorse only has to jump as uh, jumps as high as it has to. Yep. Now, make sure you set the bar high enough so you jump high enough. Yeah, And I think that's my main lesson and that was my main motivation for that. And the reality is anything is possible. Beautiful. Okay. So what we've got now is a, an understanding of your motivation. Your right. your drive, your challenge is to remove that that limitation of belief, right? Is to remove in yourself and others that right. that belief that we're we're inhibited. But actually, right. if we go beyond, then we're capable of almost anything. Something along those lines, right? Now, do you remember back in the day when your early sales career, you were told, find something you have in common with your prospect? Right. right? right. We're all taught that. Find something yeah. and they're like, oh, you know, yeah. what did you do on the weekend? I played piano. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I grew a tree. So I don't know. Like, and you, just, you make up all sorts of things. I just don't to have, have anything in common. common right? I don't, yeah, and you're just like, yeah, I play piano. No, I don't. Right. So, but if I ask you that question, I understand your motivation. I'm, you know, I've tried Iron Man. I'm not even going to try and and kind of correlate with you on that, but I can connect with you on that that mindset piece of removing limitation. And I can talk about you know the way I coach people, or I can talk about my own personal journey in bodybuilding, which I've started recently, right? Because that for me is the same. I want to show that I'm capable of more. And now, if we have that conversation. Like that's going to gel us together in a way that, you know, I cross my arms and, you know, scratch my nose is never going to do that. And so we can develop a relationship on that and that will actually keep us really tight. So what you find with families, there's another level above that is 
we call it identity. It's like, what is the shirt that you wear? Or how do you see yourself? What, what is the, the symbol that you associate to? And for family, it's like family. But if I ask you that question as well, when, you, when you're in that moment, when you're, when you're seeing yourself as an Iron Man, how would you describe that, that person that is Harry? Like, how would you describe that in a word or a phrase or a, a symbol? Limitless. Perfect. Right. And so, and also, by the way, for salespeople listening to this, watch Harry, wind this bit of video or this audio, notice there's two things that happen. Number one is there's a break of eye contact and he looks around because he's thinking and there's silence. Okay. When you ask these questions, you've got to shut up for a minute because there's a, there's an important silence as you, Harry, are processing that and really accessing it. So they're, they're deep level questions. Like I said, neurological levels model. We're into that values and beliefs thing. And the one above that is, as I mentioned, identity. But if we can create a rapport that values and identity, uh, values and beliefs, a lot easier um, than yeah. finding something specific in common or just doing matching and mirroring. What you've shared also with the motivations and so forth versus what you do uh, versus the reasons why you're doing it, a lot obviously connected in in obviously all the sales content, negotiation content, wants versus needs. Want is what you want to do. Uh, the need is the motivations, why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so selling to the need and having a conversation based on the motivations, based on the personal outcomes and so forth, mm-hmm. is critical and makes a huge change in, in the level of conversation you have. Yeah. Um, what I've just noticed when you have described the things or the way I've reacted, you're very observant. Now, is that something that you recommend salespeople to do and to what level and what tips could you give people on, on that topic? So I do love this topic. <laughs> and okay. if you watch things like, there's a great show, Lie to Me. Uh, with Tim Roth right. is about the the kind of human lie detector guy. All these mm-hmm. micro movements. People used to say, "Oh, you know, uh, and I, for, for if you're only listening, I've crossed my arms." Right? What does that mean? What does crossing arms mean? Um, people are oh, defensive, argumentative. Um, sometimes it could mean cold. It could mean I'm comfortable in that situation. I've got a shoulder injury, and I'm just right. Personally, I don't find much association to specific poses, um, but change of posture or change of behavior is important. So if you're a salesperson, don't look for the specifics and say, what does that mean? What does that mean? Instead, look for the changes. So if, if, if you're kind of leaning back in a conversation and you say something and suddenly you lean forwards and you've got a kind of stern look on your face, the question you would have to ask, okay, so why is this important to you? There's a mm. change. You're leaning into a conversation. Or if you notice that somebody's changed eye contact and they're looking away, they say, okay, is this not relevant? Like something along those lines. And just notice the changes and notice what you did at that time that potentially could have created those changes. So I don't think that specific postures, if you're thinking about sales, are always like it's a buying sign. They're leaning on the table. They're ready to do a deal. It's not always the case, but changes in posture can tell you uh, a huge amount. It is interesting. Uh, uh, I can resonate very well with what you say. Uh, I'm actually, you don't see this over the video, I'm six foot seven tall. And whenever I'm face to face with somebody, 
usually the chairs are too small and you know i usually sit comfortably by crossing my legs yeah. you know and and some people have interpreted that as being closed off and being right. distant to people and so forth for me it's not at all <laughs> i'm just being comfortable here so yeah. it's it's interesting how that plays out yeah i think we we, we assume too many things um right. and you know just Know that everybody else has a whole bunch of stuff going on that you just don't need to know about. <laughs> you just never know, right? So let's continue a little bit about mm. the 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 influence and persuasion sort of path. Um, yeah. Share an example with me, and you've you've already given a number of them. Share an example with me of of how salespeople successfully have utilized you know, some of those psychological principles or LMP to influence a buying decision-making process? Because that's really the key nowadays is how do we uh, influence the buying decision? How do we influence stakeholders that are involved in my sales process? Uh, can you share some examples of how this has or how some salespeople have successfully uh, leveraged some of those principles that you've shared? Yeah. So I'd say the first one, let's go back to neurological levels, is, is understanding values. And if we can understand values a lot more, then we'll come back to your needs, wants situation. Should you sell something that somebody wants versus needs? And I worked with a guy, Jay Levinson, he wrote all the guerrilla marketing books years ago. Phenomenal, phenomenal man, just in general. And he talked about buying a stereo and how he once went to a stereo, back in the day, so he could tell all the stories. Went in and said, "Look, I want this stereo, this speaker. This is back in the day when you had to build everything right. uh, modular." And the salesperson said to him, "That's great. What do you need it for? Like, why do you want this stereo?" And Jay said, "You know, I want it for my house. I want it for this and thing." So, okay, great. So that's what you want, but what you need is this. And okay, here, you know, this you're right. This you need to upgrade. This you need to downgrade. And actually what he did, he came away with a better package, even for less money, but it was closer, more aligned to the the, the needs than the original ones. Right. So the only way you can understand that is by asking that question. Why is this important? Why is this important? If you, if, if Wolf of Wall Street, yeah, um, sell me this pen. Right. And why do you want a pen? It's like people always go to the pen. It's like, well, why would you want a pen? Right. Um, and some people say, well, I might want to write my name. But somebody might say, well, I'm opening a, a stationary shop and I need to buy a whole bunch of stationary equipment. So I guess I thought you only did pens. <laughs> but now you've opened the capacity to sell a whole lot more. right? So by asking this, why is this important? This should be the first question. Why is you open the doors and you open the doors to flexibility. And what that allows you to do is say, OK, well, you thought you wanted this. But based on what you've told me is important this is the way that you should do. And we should be able to educate the salespeople, but it's based on that. If somebody says, you know, I want this stereo, I'm not a good stereo person. Sure. So well, I haven't got that one, but I've got this one. That's a difficult sale, right? That's a difficult sale. You can't yeah. switch someone to a, a separate product unless you say, okay, well, what does you want? And then tie in features, benefits, et cetera, to that specific one. So salespeople who understand values, really important. The other thing that values does is, again, me and you have the same value of unleashing potential and, and driving challenge and, and making that limitless thing possible. 
but the way we do it is different. Mm. So the higher you go, the easier it is to get consensus. The lower you go in terms of specifics, the easier it is to get difference. And so now if you think about buying committees, think about how many people are involved in a buying decision now. Lots. Right. They probably all got different views of how to do it on the specifics. But if you can unite people around a vision, a identity, a value, and a way of doing things, then you can get a little bit more flexibility. Uh, lower down. This is a mediation tactic. This is a negotiation tactic. They use this in all of the, the most heated, tense conversations. It says, let's stop. Let's back up. Why is this important? What are we trying to achieve right now? And then go back into the detail. And so it's this ability to flex between general and specific, abstract and detailed, that if you're a really good salesperson and you get resistance, it's that ability to come back. So I'd say that's number one. That's probably one of the biggest things is understanding values. If you can do that really well, you'll be able to communicate at multiple different levels. I love what you shared um, around that, that one piece that you said is uniting stakeholders around a vision. I think, I think if people can do that, that thing well, that part, that's a huge shift. Yep. How do we, uh, you know, what's the research? There's different researchers, nine to 12 stakeholders within any B2B sales process right now. Yep. Everybody has different needs uh, and we're selling on something. So how do we unite all these stakeholders around the same vision uh, to, again, lead them down the path? I love that part. Uh, yep. Very cool. We... Uh, an anecdote out of my past many, many years ago, it must have been over 20 years ago, I used to work for a bank and we used to assess sort of salespeople and how, what their initial skill level is of selling. And we basically gave them a toothbrush, say, sell me that toothbrush. And they all went into look at how long the brush is and look at the amazing color. And you can go as far as you can go back yep. into your mouth, into that corner and this corner. Uh, so basically selling on features, right? And uh, and if they would have asked one question, what do you need it for? Yeah. Well, I'm actually a guitar player and I need the, the toothbrush to go back into strings and clean my strings with um, completely yeah. different thing. So only yeah. one question. This was a very quickly to assess, are people asking the obvious? And sometimes what may appear as the dumb question, which yeah. seriously is not. And yeah. And it was the phenomenal results came out of it. It's just uh, one question right at the beginning. Establish are people good or not good at that? Yeah. One question at the beginning. Okay. Why are we here? Why are we having this conversation? Right. What's, what, what, what are we doing here? I know it sounds dumb, but it's just resetting and, and, and coming out of that specific, moving back one stage, yeah. and you can survey it. Yeah. Right. Uh, I've had a podcast the other day with somebody who said, listen, this is simple. You know, what's the problem? Why is that a problem? And how can I help you solve it? It's simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, um, through our research on you, we did a little bit of research on you. Uh, you talk a lot about uh, behavioral decision science in the buyer yeah. decision making process. Explain yeah. to the audience a little bit the concept of behavioral decision making yeah. or behavioral decision science, should I say, and its relevance to 
understanding how buyers make decisions. Okay. Um, so I studied persuasion and influence, which is one side of the equation for a long time, right? Trying to figure out how can we be more articulate? How can we be more uh, com- better communicators? All of those kind of things. The other side of the equation is what's going on in the other person's head while you're saying all these things. Uh, and that's decision science, right? That's that's looking at the psychology of how do we make decisions? How do we choose behaviors? Um, for two reasons, I studied this. Number one, because I want to be a better uh communicate as a salesperson, I want to be able to influence people better, but also secondly, looking at my own decisions and trying to figure out why on earth did I do that? So there's always a selfish element, right? To trying to figure out how we're all wired. And what it comes out to, and, and there's loads of research on this, amazing research, books like Thinking Fast and Slow, Nudge, um, Predictably Irrational, all these kind of things, is that we make decisions generally pretty badly. Um and and when I say badly is is we're we're wired to do things in particular ways that don't always serve us. And the biggest way that we're wired, okay, is towards status quo. We're wired to try and keep things the same, no matter how bad they are. We prefer it that way. The, you know, better the devil you know, right? Better the devil you know. And actually, change and risk associated with change creates inertia. And said, oh, we'll get around to it later. We're able to procrastinate. Um, and we can put things off. And so salespeople have to be aware of this tendency uh, of status quo. We used to think that we were competing against other uh, products, right? We're not, right? We are to some extent, but the, you know this, the biggest deal uh, contributed to deal loss or kind of win loss, uh, sorry, close loss, is no decision. Like it's always no decision, no decision. Right? We're going to carry on with the incumbent way of doing things is the status quo. So how do you do that? So we need to sell on value, okay? And people say, okay, well, you know, if I add one pound of value or one dollar of value to a company, then it's worth it. Well, no, you're wrong. Like fundamentally you're wrong because yes, it may be better than the product. Okay, a product A may be better than product B. But what the change involves, and think about what else it involves. It means an admission that the previous decision was bad. It means you need me to say that I was wrong historically. Like that, that's got a cost. There's a cost of implementation, like changing everything. Oh, that's so much effort. Do you have spare energy and things now, Harry? I know you've got kids and they've got family. Have you got a little bit of energy that you're just not using at the moment that you could probably put into something? No, nobody has that. Park it. <laughs> there is probably a cost. There's there's so many of these things. So salespeople said, oh, if I could make you one pound, it's like, no, no, fundamentally, no, you're wrong. You need to account for all of those and you need to over-index on the additional value that this brings. So that's where salespeople need to go, knowing that there is a massive tendency to pump the brakes and to do nothing. Um, so how do we overcome that? And we do that by, number one, is the over-indexing on the value that's going to come. But also then, if you think about prospect theory, is the pain, we want to hit people with a little stick, is painting this cost of inaction. If you don't do anything, if you don't change uh, that isn't status quo. That's actually deterioration. That's that's getting worse, and you're going to lose whatever it is you're trying to gain, like market right. share, profitability, and all those things. So a salesperson has to be able to elegantly articulate both of those aspects to get people, what I call, off the fence. If I go into a sales uh, conversation and I leave, and somebody's still a maybe, something's gone wrong. I want them as a yes or no. I don't mind. I don't mind whether they're a yes or a no. Right? But I can't 
physically leave them as a maybe because it means that I haven't educated them as to the importance of this decision. Whether they decide to go with me or anybody else, I need to just knock them off that fence. I need to challenge and disrupt that status quo to a point where they may not be comfortable, but they know they're going to do something about it. And fundamentally, Harry, that's why salespeople are disliked. Good salespeople are disliked is because, you know, before I called you or before we had the conversation, you were happy, day was going good. You know, like, like you say, it's sunny, you've had a couple of balls, been nice, got a cup of coffee. Um, after the salesperson, you now have a new problem to solve, right? You have the same amount of energy and attention that you had previously, but now you have a new problem. And the only thing that was different was that salesperson came into your life. <laughs> so right. good salespeople will always create problems. Excellent salespeople will show how to solve those problems in the most effective way. Love it. Love it. Fabulous. Um, we're going to do a follow-up to this podcast and we're going to get your commitment right now because we're almost uh, 30 minutes already. So uh, really good. Let's touch one last aspect of this, mm. a little bit on a lot of people talk about biases these days. Um, are there any specific sort of biases that frequently come up uh, during a sales process that you have seen and how can salespeople use this knowledge that you've shared to, to their advantage to sort of get people off the maybe and get them to make a decision? Either yes or no, just make a decision, right? Yep. So the one that is an obscure one, but I like it a lot, is sunken cost fallacy. Would you like the heck is that? Why does it sound so strange? Um, sunken cost fallacy means that you've made a decision and you've committed to that decision. And whether contradictory information comes along later or not, or a better solution, you're like, I've committed to this decision. And I'm going to give you a very specific example, and I'll keep the names of the innocent uh, out of the equation and the guilty. They'll also stay. Okay. All right. Um, at some point in the uh, not too distant past, uh, I became responsible for a team that had a learning platform in place okay, and was in contract. Okay, um, Status quo, right? That's the status quo. This is exactly what I've got. We've, we're in contract. We're committed. Great. But it didn't do what I needed it to do. So, Harry, what would you do in that situation? Like Most people would say, well, I'm in contract. I'm just going to wait to the end of the contract, and then I'll do something different at the end of the contract because For most people, yeah. we're committed, right? But I knew that I needed to do something differently. I knew that actually that gap for me was significant and I needed to solve it before the end of the contract. Okay. Uh, and so I went to market, did the research. I had done some of the research before and I knew there was the capacity to over index, talk about the additional value. I knew the cost of an action. I knew all of those things. And so what I was able to do as a buyer this time was negotiate a new contract over the existing terms that allowed me to both maintain the status quo from a financial perspective and realize the, the shift that I needed to make. Okay, so I was able to do that as a buyer. Now, as a salesperson, what do we do when we come up against, oh, there's an existing contract. Mm, there's another year left on it. Okay, well, should we start a conversation in six months, nine months or something like that? No, stop it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> stop it. If your solution, think about, you know, think about it. If your solution can add additional value that over that year 
you can realize more benefit, more profit, more whatever it is, then buy the solution now, even though you're still in contract. Madness, right? If you're making widgets, right, you've bought a machine that makes 10 widgets a, a, a minute. Like, I'm not good at widgets or minutes, so go with my maths here. And you've bought that and you've got it for a year. And another machine comes along two minutes later and says, look, you've just bought that. I know, but here's one that makes 25 widgets. And actually, within three months, you'll have made your money back. Like, would you buy it or go, oh, sorry, I just bought this widget machine and you know, it only makes 10, but we're stuck with it. No, the sensible decision is to upgrade. Even though you've made that purchase, you've sunk that cost. That, this is why it's called sunk cost, that's done. You've spent that. Park it, move on. Make a new decision in this moment for what is better. So salespeople, when you're up against contracts, that's what you got to think. If your product is significantly better, if you can realize more value, more revenue, more impact, even over an existing contract, find a way to convince people to buy, be aware of this, this sunken cost fallacy, find a way to explode that, blow it out of the water. It is done all of the time. Um, and then just get really creative on the negotiation strategies. Love it. <laughs> Love it. I think people really um, like that insight. Last question for you, Dan. Um, Obviously, you've seen a lot of salespeople. You've seen a lot of good ones. You've seen a lot of bad ones. Give me your top three things in a one-word answer uh, that top salespeople have to do in, and do well in today's environment. Um, so top three things. Top uh, three things. And always be and learning. Prioritize yeah. them for me. Number one, number two, and number three. Number one, always be learning. Okay. Um, the industry changes, products change, become an expert, find a way to maintain that expert status. Salespeople should know the problems that are being faced and how to solve them, right? Position yourself as an expert, and that takes constant learning, um, not just for your market and industry, but also think think about what we've covered today, how you can become a better persuasion expert, how can you be a better communicator, how can you understand decisions, how can you understand the, the psychology that goes into it? Treat yourself as a professional, go and learn, dedicate time, on a regular basis. Number two, become better at listening. And you mentioned it there, Harry, is what should we be aware of? Everything, everything. You know, look at people's uh, posture. How does that change? Look at their facial gestures. I know we're in these tiny little boxes now, but you can still see a huge amount just in terms of the way people tilt their head or raise their eyebrows or something along those lines. So just tune yourself into that. Don't assume but just observe the changes and then notice what happens during those conversations. So learn. The last one. Um, oh, I'm going to go a bit fluffy. Okay. I'm going to go a bit fluffy. I'm going to say, pass it on, coach and pass it on. The best salespeople, we need really good salespeople to influence the next generation. Okay. Um, a lot of salespeople get promoted to sales managers, whether they're good salespeople, bad salespeople, good managers, bad managers, and bad things tend to progress through the industry. Okay. Bad tendencies, bad habits, bad all those things. If you're a good salesperson, please go and teach. Become part of the sales training, sales enablement uh, organization within your business. Go and offer your time to coach, buddy, onboard, do all of those things. Take people. Or like take people on your sales meetings, have them join you on sales meetings. So they can observe and what, witness you 
in action and then ask them for their feedback. Be, be open to be coached even from junior people or people with observations as well. So I'd say those things and so always be learning, find a way to listen and be interested and observe a little bit more and then help us out because everyone's in sales training. Everyone's in sales enablement. It's a mindset. It's not a team. Um, so yeah, let's bring through the next generation of sellers. Learn, listen and pass it on. Love it. It's been one of my favorite guests and thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate your your super insights. I know our listeners will appreciate uh, your input too. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in to uh, uh, the B2B Sales Trends podcast again. Until the next episode, happy selling, look after yourselves. All the best. <laughs>